I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome, welcome back to the Playing Footsie podcast. Every week we get together, that's me, that's Steve W and Steve D. We all get together to talk about this week's news in stocks, the random crap that's going on in all sorts of places. And, and today we've got a great episode for you we've got steve d who's come up with another game and me and steve w we have no idea what these games are about <laughs> the first we hear about them is uh, as when the person talks about them so that'll be coming up in a minute we're going to talk about the fed we're going to talk about what the news coming out of the fed and their tapering possible tapering of uh, all the all the quantitative easing that they're going to be doing we've got michael burry's got a 13f out and uh, apparently it's quite controversial and then we're going to have a look at some stocks particularly stocks that are held by scottish mortgage trust some very very interesting stocks that um they're holding what they've moved around and what they have now bought but first the introductions that we do every week it's uh, steve d and steve w how are you guys doing this week and what have you been doing in your portfolios how are they looking portfolio is looking all right paul uh it's we've seen the return of volatility a little bit this week i was looking at the vix earlier today and that's up so my portfolio is down a little bit but being sort of fairly defensively minded as i am it's not down that much I guess the exciting thing for me now is that Trading212, as of today when we're recording this, has released Berkshire Hathaway A shares as fractional, which is nice. So uh, I, I can buy the world's tiniest fraction of them um, and put them next to my B shares and have absolutely no real meaningful difference between them at all. Uh, but just act oh, like I'm an you got, A shareholder. Have you not got enough uh, money to buy a full share of Berkshire A then? Nearly. Uh, I'm hoping eventually I'll get paid a massive dividend from some main uh, uh, MLP that I own or something, and then eventually I'll use that to buy Berkshire A dividends, uh, buy Berkshire A stock. Quite funny because there's a, a fun fact. Fun fact actually that uh, Berkshire A, the price of Berkshire A of one share of Berkshire A, is actually my financial freedom number. So uh, four hundred and thirty thousand pound will get me one share. Well, it's dollars, isn't it, really? But um, yeah, it will get me one share of Berkshire. So I could possibly uh, just uh, dump all of my financial freedom onto Berkshire A. Not sure that'd uh, hold up against the four percent rule, but um, we'll see. How you been doing, Steve D? Yeah, not too bad, really. I had a decent start to the week, but it's sort of tapered off, and it's uh, we've had a bit of a crap show today, which I'm sure we'll get onto why that is. Um, I've had some stocks that have done really well. Um, not ASML this week. My other Dutch company, Adyen, has done uh, has done pretty well um, off the back of some results that we'll we'll obviously discuss a bit later as well. Um, other than that, some ups, some downs, but yeah, nothing to worry about. Yeah, that's it. I imagine a lot of people this week have had their portfolio kind of slump a little bit. I don't think there's anyone getting too worried right now, but do we feel it? Do we feel the? Do we feel like 
the the bit of FUD creeping in anywhere. I feel like there are some people who are trying not to feel the FUD. In particular, just looking at the chat um, on on the Briscord, I feel like the people are trying not to feel the FUD around Alibaba and the Chinese stocks. Uh, I feel like they're the, the main sort of theme of the community there is thinking. It's going to be okay. I know it's going to be okay. I should like it when stocks go down. I can buy them cheaper. I like this at 260. Now I can buy it at 160. Um, but I also get the impression that some people would quite like it to stop now. <laughs> yeah, it gets. Uh, it's. It's. I get you. Feel, yeah, feels like that a little bit right now. It's like, oh yeah, uh, it went down to one seventy five, or maybe even be one eighty, and everyone was going buy, 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 buy. Everyone on YouTube was going buy, 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 buy. This is a steal, and now it's one sixty, and we're starting. This is in my in in my personal opinion. This is the first stock out there that we're really starting to feel that element of okay this is apparently a stock that is going up in revenue but there's some news about it that is is forcing it down and it's going much further than we thought it would and i know that some of the people that these guys follow on youtube in the discord they're saying that this could go to 100 you know they're expecting alibaba to drop down as far as 100 and they'll still be happy at them values it's hard it's very, very hard to sit there and go, wow, this stock is going to drop in price by half and we're still going to buy it. But isn't that what investing's all about? That's what you live for, isn't it? On a growth stock, you've got to be living for a stock that you uh, thought at 278 was very expensive or 300, I think it breached at one point. And if it gets down to 100 and nothing has changed other than you know some macro threat, that's 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 um, a growth investor's wet dream, can I call it? But um, <laughs> I don't know. It's tough to say, really. I mean, I've got a little bit of bar bar now in my uh, invest account, but I'm still down on it. Um, which I find well, it's impossible not to be at the moment, really, because it's gone. It's been it's been terrible the last few times. But I tend to not really believe into the uh, the, the the fud. I always think somebody's trying to manipulate you to do something, and usually. Uh, the best thing to do is nothing. And that's what I'll be doing. I'll just be doing nothing. Yeah, I, I think Steve W has a different, slightly different opinion on it. I, I, we've had arguments about this a little bit. So <laughs> I know he's got a, you've got a slightly The more Alibaba goes opinion. down, the more I see risk coming in. So the videos I've been watching on this are Sven's one. And Sven is attempting to deal with what he thinks is a delisting threat potentially, by trading out his ADRs for uh, the underlying stock on the Hong Kong exchange. People who own it in an ISA here can't do that, uh, straightforwardly. So if that's Sven's plan to deal with a delisting threat, that doesn't apply to us. Um, and you may well think it's not going to get delisted, right? That's a perfectly reasonable thing to think here. But if you think it might, then you should find a, a different strategy to Sven's one to dealing with it. The bigger worry I have is that the lower this goes, and I have heard rumours of this happening with other Chinese companies, although I've never looked into it carefully enough to tell you this with any confidence, the more danger there is of the thing just being bought out and taken private um, from underneath you. So if you bought it at 270 and the thing falls to 100 and it gets taken private at 150, 120, uh, you're going to lose like that. I mean, Sven's idea was, I hope it goes to 100 and I hope it sits there for 10 years while I buy it and then I hope it shoots back to its fundamentals. I think it's almost certainly not going to do that. 
it might go down and then come back up again for sure but it's not going to fall away nicely have an eight year dip and then shoot back up to exactly where it ought to be based on its new now grown eps and so on and so forth so i'm i'm still watching this carefully i'm i'm still trying to work out the number that would persuade me to take an interest here (laughs) um i look at it every day and think well pretty much every day i think yeah i'm glad i didn't buy it yesterday basically i mean eventually that will change right uh there will time, come a time where i think oh now i've missed the bottom never mind i'm not buying this again it's now overpriced at i don't know 110 because yesterday it was 100 or something 25 um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah I, i'm still trying to work out my way into this one i'm not kind of against it under any circumstances but trading 212 have just distracted me with Berkshire A shares so it's unlikely that i'll buy this <laughs> well you've just dropped a massive bomb on everyone there because uh, I, I bet a lot of people haven't really considered that that alibaba could be rebought and taken private i think that's a lot of money to pay to take alibaba private i i think the chances of that happening are quite low but obviously this is the chinese and we have no idea what's going on with the chinese i am very much into the idea of testing because I feel this is the first test that I that has ever happened in my investing lifetime, where I've genuinely got a company who is apparently going up in revenue, apparently growing rapidly in earnings, but there's a lot of FUD around it, which is tanking the share price. And for some reason, I feel like I need to test this. I've, I think I need to test exactly what the theory of value investing is, and and that's this, and that's Alibaba, in my opinion. Once I've you're got in some very free good company, to go into that. Yeah, I think there there are a lot of people sounding that alarm as well. I, I I don't know if I'm in the majority or the minority. Well, clearly I must be in the the minority because the price is going down. Uh, but there is a lot of news and a lot of voices out there that are saying, "Wow, this stock." is going to go up eventually and all this noise that you're hearing when it goes down to 100 i've seen people that have been um uh selling puts at like 100 and you're going wow is that ever going to strike is that price ever going to strike so yeah it's very very interesting uh we didn't expect to get onto alibaba there but we've we've just (laughs) probably done about 10 minutes on alibaba (laughs) all right coming soon uh it's the uh fed minutes and uh right now we're gonna go to steve d's game so woo, steve d's game let's go (laughs) what are you playing Just so everybody knows, that's the second time Paul to record that because um, he completely <laughs> forgot. And I was going to, ha- I was going to ask him, are you taking the PS? Because that's the oh, name no. of today's game. Oh no! Oh no! Oh, so so hard. I've been waiting for this game, it. but I thought it was going to be about PE ratios, not PS ratios. Well, piss is better <laughs> no, than like... P, so. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So how it works, it's a very simple game. You guys are going to give me a number between 1 and 10. I will give you the three companies that you have to pick from. And you just have to tell me who has the largest PS price to sales ratio. Um, If you're playing at home, let us know how well you do. They are... They are thematic and they are fun and uh, we have a tiebreaker, which regardless of how you do, I'm going to force you to play because it's fun. So um, <laughs> I have I have Steve is going first. Give me a number between one and ten. Nine, please. God damn it. Uh, number nine <laughs> is recent IPOs and you need to pick between okay. Coinbase, 
Robin Hood this is... and Lemonade. Uh, okay. Um, I have no idea what any of these things have sold. I'm unaware that some of these things have sold anything at all. Uh, okay. Um, Sorry, just go over the rules with me again because you went off a bit. Okay. So these, um, uh, you give me a number between 1 and 10. I'll give you the three companies. You've got to tell me who has the highest price to sales. Can you keep explaining this while I Google the price yeah, to sales totally of Coinbase, right. please? <laughs> I've left my hands here so you can see I'm not doing that. But <laughs> um, uh, Highest price to sales. Uh, I know roughly what direction they've gone in since their IPOs, but I don't really know what price to sales they started at. Um, let's try oh, really the hard. highest price to sales is Coinbase. That is incorrect, but I've just realised I can't see the media bar to let you know it is. <laughs> there you go. Oh well, I don't want him for um, a chance. The it's actually Lemonade, which is the highest. These are all as of Tuesday when I wrote the game. So Lemonade, I've rounded them all up for ease of use. Lemonade was at fifty, Robinhood at thirty-one, and Coinbase was at fourteen. What a bargain! Paul, give us a number between yeah, one and Coinbase ten. That isn't nine. Prices. Sorry, Coinbase at uh, fourteen price of sales is not hmm. bad. Uh, a lot lower Kathy than doesn't think so either still a lot higher than four but yeah fair enough uh, number two number two um, so this one is I just had it down as crap car companies um, so <laughs> who's got the highest price to sales uh, Rolls Royce Aston Martin Lagonda or Ford I know it's it's a very oh. horrible question this one and to be fair, Rolls Royce Although... doesn't actually involve the car aspect of it, does it? So, cars and yeah, plane I was engines. Say, like, engines, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, maybe. I don't think Rolls Royce. I think it's going to be Ford, actually. I think it's going to be a bit outlier and it's going to be Ford. Well, Ford have a price to sales of 0.4. They're the lowest on the list. Uh, so, oh, wrong. Yeah, Rolls Royce <laughs> is in the middle at 0.82, and Aston Martin Lagonda 2.5 would have been your winner. That's Steve. I By randomly guessing, I would have got those in the right order. Actually, I wouldn't have gone for Ford. I thought Ford would have been the one that was kind of all right out of those. Okay, four, please. Four is meme stocks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, you've got to pick between GameStop, AMC, and Bed Bath and Beyond. Don't would be surprised if it's Bed Bath and Beyond. The Who has the, uh, the trouble is that requires me to know where some of these prices were Tuesday, and in these meme stock things, they could be anywhere by now. Um, let's try AMC because I wonder whether the heat's come out of GameStop a little bit. Correct. No. AMC, zero. Yeah. AMC has a price to sales of 20, Bed Bath & Beyond was 0.29, and GameStop only 2.3. Bargain. Ah, yeah. What you got <laughs> for me, Paul? Uh, number one, please. Number one is stuff I like and used to earn. <laughs> <laughs> and still do earn. <laughs> so you've got to pick between Teladoc... Good RX and Dexcom for people watching or listening at home. Dexcom is a wearable um, blood monitor for people with diabetes. 
Ah, uh, it's hard, really, really hard because all these stocks are. It's actually rather close. This high. one, it, it could have changed. Yeah. Uh, uh, good RX or Teladoc. I'm gonna go with Teladoc. So, don't so think Teladoc, you're really very high. good at picking the uh, the cheapest <laughs> ones oh, on the yeah. list. Teladoc is at 14. <laughs> Dexcom at 22. But out in front is Good RX at 23. Oh, that last one is close. I would have gone the wrong way on that. Hmm. Next one, Steve. Five, please. Five is other social media companies. Okay. So you've got to pick between Snapchat, Pinterest, and Twitter. Okay. <laughs> so I'll go out on a limb here and suggest that I think Twitter has the lowest of these. Um, and I will then try to choose between the other two. Pinterest and Snap. Huh? Pinterest Pinterest recently had quite good earnings, which will have brought its price to sales down, I think. Let's try Snap. Snap is correct. Snapchat's at 35, well, Pinterest geez. at 16, and, uh, and Twitter at 11 and a half, so you've got them in the right order too. Very good. What you got for that me, Paul? Well deduced that was. Uh, number four, please. That's already been taken. <laughs> yes. Uh, three. <laughs> three is three. three is my favourite question. It's it's by far head and shoulders my favourite question. It's oh, um, no. food slash tech companies masquerading <laughs> as food. Uh, so you've got to pick beyond beyond me. <laughs> Famous tech company masquerading as food. Tattooed Chef and famous tech company masquerading as food, Nomad Foods, who we all know here are the owner of the tech company Findus Crispy Pancakes. <laughs> I love it, love it, love it. Didn't include didn't want to include App Harvest in this one. Uh, I didn't. Because I think their price to sales would be about seven point four million. What, what about their recent what about earnings Tech company yeah. masquerading as food Kellogg's? <laughs> I had to find a way to weave Findus crispy pancakes in once I realised Nomad Foods owned it. Uh, I am going to go. Oh man, I'm going to be so bad at this because I'm trying to think too much at this. But I'm going to go with Beyond Meat because I think Tattoo Chef is actually producing some significant revenue in comparison to its uh, valuation. So, what what do you think, Steve? What would you have gone with? I would have gone with Tattoo Chef. Tattoo Chef. And what did you go for, Paul? Beyond me. <laughs> he went for the first one. You're correct. Well, uh, Beyond uh, Beyond Meat has a price to sales of 17. Tattooed Chefs is only 8. And um, tech company Findus Crispy Pancakes is at 1.92, which is bloody high. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Steve, what you got for me? Six, please. Six is um, it's basically fintech. So you've got to pick between okay. Mastercard, Visa, and Square. Okay. Oh yeah, hmm. that's gotta be easy, right? Gotta be easy. Let's go with what looks like the easy option here, and let's say Square. And if I'm wrong, I'll be interested to learn that this is wrong. Square. <coughs> hmm. So, interestingly, I thought this one was really easy, and I've dual-sourced this everywhere, 
Um, but Visa is currently trading at a price to sales of 23. Um, oh. Mastercard trading at a price to sales of 21 and a half. But Square, where I dual source it, is only trading at a price to sales of 8. So, in comparison, is bloody cheap. Yeah. Um, I, wow. I thought those numbers sounded about right for Visa and Mastercard, and I just thought Square mm, would be massively yeah. higher, basically. Same. Same. Yeah, yeah. That was the same theory, yeah. But wow, okay, that's interesting. We're learning a lot. We're learning things. Uh, I'm also going to learn right now what numbers are left, so I'm going to go with <laughs> seven. Seven yeah, is available. Point. Seven oh. is uh, f- famous um, solar panel manufacturers or, okay. or inverter manufacturers. So you can pick between okay. Enphase Energy, Solar Edge, or famous non-car company Tesla. <laughs> we're really calling tesla a solar company right now are we okay yep um because i think i think their solar element of their business is probably trading at a stupidly high piss ratio <laughs> we're going to call it a piss ratio let's call it a piss ratio yeah yeah I coined so. by the way um uh, let's go with solar edge it's got to be solar edge Solar Edge is the cheapest one again. Um, very good at picking <coughs> the cheap ones um, as the value investor. <laughs> I was going to go Solar Edge. Advice. Solar Edge price to sales of nine. Tesla price to sales of seventeen. Enphase way in front price to sales yeah. of twenty-two. Uh, go on, Steve. No. Ten, please. Ten is tech companies that Steve would know nothing about. Um, so pick between <laughs> CrowdStrike. So okay. <laughs> CrowdStrike, Palantir, or Snowflake? Uh, Snowflake. Ah. Correct. <laughs> Snowflake's trading at a price to sales oh, of 121. <laughs> 121 times sales. CrowdStrike, yep. 55 times sales. And Palantir, a relatively uh, value player, only 37 times sales. So... I'll be honest, I was pleased with that one, <laughs> mainly just because I don't think Paul's going to have any clue what number's left now. Go on and put... Uh, I'll way, give you a relative, point, Paul, if you get the number what? that's left right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but Palantir and a relative value player to what? Like Snowflake. Snowflake <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. That's that is crazy. I didn't realise that about Snowflake. To be honest with you, uh, I knew I knew CrowdStrike was at fifty, which is which because is I really want to play the tiebreaker, Paul. I'm going to give you the opportunity to win two points on the next question. If, regardless, we're going to play the tiebreaker, um, but right, I'm going yeah. to give you the opportunity. I have two points by getting it wrong, Paul. Uh, I have <laughs> I have no idea what numbers left. Uh, number nine? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, idea. no. It's yeah. it's number Literally, eight. I, number eight. Well done. There's a point eight. for getting yeah. number eight. Yeah. Correct. Um, <laughs> so you've got to pick between Lululemon, Nike, okay. and Adidas. Oh, that's so hard. That's got to be so, uh, so hard. In, okay, I'm going to go with the opposite of what I think. Good point. And I'm going to go with Nike. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> okay. Well, you get a point for trying. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the lemon, answer, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. Adidas is um, the cheapest oh, at only yeah. three. Nike at six, and Lululemon at eleven. Yep. So for the tiebreaker, the opposite guys, of why. Unbelievably, it's three all. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I need the closest <laughs> price to sales for solar panel uh, company oh, Nikola Motors. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, hold on. I, I, I wasn't aware. Down, right? I was not aware that Nikola Motors was a solar panel company, unless you're referring to the fact that they made all of their revenue on installing. Well, they've made more revenue from solar interest. panels than they have cars, so that's what we're going with. <laughs> God, I don't even know what the price of Nikola is these days. Have I got to write it down, have I? I don't know what the price of Nikola is. He might as well have asked me that. Yeah. Alright, I got a number. Uh, Tell you what, if I lose this on this tiebreaker... It would be the biggest cheat known to man. Apart from maybe Nikola Motors. Would you like a hint? Uh, Yes. I'll give you a hint. Start in the millions. Oh, fuck me. Hang on. Get a different piece of paper. Oh, joking. Joking. <laughs> I, take, uh, I had written down uh, 1170. I now think I might have left some noughts off. You have. <laughs> um, well, I wrote guys, 14 what have you got for if that fails. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got would have been... Right, go on and read them out, guys. What have you got? Uh, I've written 11.7 million. Okay. Wow. I went with seven million. So, (laughs) unbelievably, Paul is the winner (laughs) in this completely (laughs) fair game. As um, I don't think you could celebrate, mate. I think you got a very helping hand. Um, But the price to sales for Nikola Nikola Motors, the uh, solar panel company, is three point eight million. So, I don't know if I can quite give you a clap. Paul, so I'll just give you a transition. Uh, I think I deserve right. a clap, actually. I think I deserve well, a clap because uh, I'll give you a I little bit of a clap. Trounce Steve W in this one. That's enough. <laughs> no point out. <laughs> I I don't really mind about losing this game particularly, but I am annoyed now that I've ripped my notes up for the thing I was supposed to say about the Fed um, by trying to find something to write on, which is unfortunate. So I have to try and put that back together now. That's the main problem with this game, if I'm honest. <laughs> Go on then, let's talk about the Fed. And while uh, Steve W puts his stuff back together, we'll have uh, Steve D take us through what happened in the meeting and exactly where this information has gone from. Um, yeah, so if, um, Fed meeting, meeting of Binds at the uh, the Fed. Um, these are the top brass uh, in America who set um, pretty much their monetary policy. Um, for all the um, the lines that the press has managed to get out of it, it was a fairly uneventful meeting. Um they came out of it saying that later uh, later on in the year, sort of maybe into 2022, they're going to look at starting to uh, taper away from um, taper away from bond purchases, which is the monthly um, they do a buying of the bond market. Essentially, they they support it in that way. Um, they're going to chop back on that. Essentially, they're going to they're going to taper that off. And they said no rate rises. Um, 2022, 2023 possibly some of them pushing for 2024. So how um, CNBC have managed to get out all these sort of horror stories of like, you know, the world's coming to an end. Um, and yeah, and we felt it today, the European markets, the UK market, um, even the American markets started fairly, fairly poorly. Um, for me, it was a bit of a non-event. This had to happen at some point. And now all we have is the certainty that it is going to happen by X date. So yeah, there's nothing really here to jump out at me or nothing here to scare me, but it scared others. What do you think, Steve? 
I feel the same way that you do in the sense that I feel that this is something of a non-event for me, but not particularly because of the content of the news, because in my case, I'm sort of thinking a bit about how I'm supposed to handle this kind of macro news with my investor hat on. So when we look at the kind of news on CNBC, it's programs like Fast Money, which is what it says on the tin. It's trader stuff, right? So the way you would handle this kind of information if you're a trader is you're looking for what direction stocks are going to go within a defined time frame. And one thing that will... Uh, heavily influence that is macroeconomic factors like inflation, like GDP growth, like what's going to happen to all these sorts of things. So if you think we're going to see inflation coming down uh, because the Fed's going to raise rates, you will make moves to either short stuff or sell stuff or get ahead of that curve, basically. Um, as investors, we tend to think about things slightly differently. I mean, we tend to think about companies that we want to own and for the three of us at any rate, we tend to want to own them for a long time, which means that, yeah, look, inevitably we are going to hold them through some sort of inflationary period. We're going to hold them through some sort of recession. We're going to hold them through some good times. We're going to hold them through some difficult times, some times when there are pandemics uh, and all kinds of other things as well. And exactly when those things kind of come down isn't supposed to worry us too much, right? We're supposed to kind of hold on and think, well, maybe there's a buying opportunity here of a sort. Maybe kind of macro information stuff like there's going to be a raise in rates uh, that might slow growth. There's going to be pressure on things like tech and things like utilities are going to go expensive. Uh, that kind of thing is kind of interesting, I guess. It helps you on where to look. But I think this is the kind of thing that investors, as investors, we're kind of wise to steer clear of. I think Peter Lynch said something like, if you can call interest rates correctly three times in a row, you'll be a billionaire. Um, we're all sat here. So chances are none of us can do that. Uh, which tells me that I think this is the kind of thing to look at with as much interest as you like, but I wouldn't use this to inform your decisions about how to kind of position your portfolio or uh, what you ought to be looking at for a particular when inflation uh, gets tapered off. I'm so glad that you guys have come to this conclusion as well, because when I saw it on the sheet, I was going, what the hell are these guys seeing? Because I thought this was a bit out of character for you guys to go, oh, yeah, let's let's do loads of stuff on the Fed minutes. Because it, even what you've said about how it was a bit of a non-story, as far as I can see on the CNB news, CNBC news articles, is that it wasn't really that announced. It was kind of just said in passing and... People are dragging this information out of it. And then finally, like you've described, is what difference does it actually make? We're supposed to, as investors, buy companies that transcend all of these recessions and they transcend all of these um, bad news and FUD and things like that. So what you want to be doing as investors is pick a company that is so good or has been around for so long or will be around for so long and buy those companies and just hold them for a long time. I mean, that's, I, I suppose I can't give that advice because I don't think I've ever done this myself. I think this is the second time I've had to talk about this today, but I've not done this myself. And I don't think you guys have really been around for 30, 40 years and been through eight recessions to say it as well. But history states that if you hold on to these companies if you follow a process and hang around with us with your strategy for an extended period of time you will do pretty well in the stock market history states so try and think about that and try not to focus too much on the 
FUD and the events and timing the market. Just find your companies, find them at good valuations. If you're a valuable investor, find them at your good valuations. If you're a growth investor and you see the future, find those. If you're an index investor, dollar cost average. It's all about that sort of thing. And I'm so glad that you guys saw it that way as well because I was getting very worried because I was like, what? is there something is there a story here but that's good it's it's nice because there's been a lot of foot articles out there as well saying you know sell all your stocks and it really affected my portfolio this week so i was a bit annoyed but yeah uh is that everything that we've got to say on this subject I would say don't sell all your stocks uh, for what it's worth. But I guess the kind of agreement that we have here from three kind of different styles of investing. Oh, yeah, we see eye to eye quite a lot of stuff, but we do have different things that we like. I guess one of the things this kind of reinforces for me is that what we have in common as the three of us is more important than what we disagree over on the three of us. In other words, being in stocks is vastly more important than which stocks you're in with a few exceptions right you might end up in luck in coffee and then it will matter a lot which particular stock you're in Uh, but you do a lot better by just being in stocks and whether you're in paul's portfolio or steve's portfolio or my portfolio the difference between those will be very small compared to the difference between being out of the market and being in any one of those basically uh we're all going to beat cash by a long way uh, put it that way so uh, with this kind of big macro stuff I would urge people not to let it frighten you out of stocks and don't get hung up on the idea of thinking if your portfolio does go down, well, I could have sold the whole damn lot yesterday and bought it back again 10% cheaper today. Uh, Once you get into that, that's a a kind of short road to um, staring at charts and trying to get too clever, I think, with things on this sort of thing. So stick to the kind of very basics here, right? Be in stocks and stay in stocks. Speaking of people who don't get along, we have had a lot of news this week that's probably already been covered by a lot of people but we want to cover it as well because this was really fun to see uh michael burry released his 13f this week i think it was this week and it had some lovely surprises and there's been a little mini war that started going on right who wants to take this one shall i lead off sure go for it so I kind of see this as a two-part 13F from what I can see it. But I was looking at the kind of portfolio today and I see two parts to this doing very distinct things. So there's kind of the top part, which are the biggest positions, which are all options, basically. Some of them are call options and some of them are put options. And then further down that, you've got the kind of equities section. And I kind of view all this option activity as a short-term trader style prediction and all of the stuff below it as almost a kind of Ben Graham style um, bargain basement digging uh, investing thing. So the equities have stuff like Geo Group, which has been hammered. Paul had a video on this. Uh, Core Civic, which is basically a kind of similar um, prison-based REIT. Although Geo Group, I think, is no longer a REIT. I think they've done away with their REIT status. But uh, prison-based real estate company, I guess you might call them. Those are all uh, interesting enough. But the top part, the kind of option activity, is what's really interesting to us. So when we read down it, we kind of see puts on Tesla, puts on bonds, uh, so short options or bets that will go down, uh, long options on Google and Facebook, uh, long option on Kraft Heinz, long option on CVS, and a short option on ARK, uh, the Kathy Woodstock, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I was reading quite a good take on this, but I'll, I'll turn it over to you guys for yours first on what's going on here. I'm going to go, I'll go for this. So Geo Group doesn't really surprise me because I think uh, we can see from Michael Burry in the past that he has done the cigarette butt type investing. He was on 
GME before the the hype and missed out of it, which was a big shame. Um, I liked the Alphabet and Google options. They were uh, they were really uh, good to see. I was like, oh, Michael Burry thinks uh, Alphabet is under under its value. And I was like, hmm, interesting, interesting. I can't really say that I think there's anything new here. I was expecting him to be short arc. Uh, but Kathy Wood came back. What did you have it on on it, Steve? Yeah, so I, I was really going to say that this is the sort of big fish that Burry likes to go after. I think if he is expecting um, if he's expecting a big drawdown in uh, in equities, which is that's what Burry wants. That's that's what he's thinking is going to happen. That's essentially his remit at the moment. Um, you would go after the big fish because the there is a couple of things that would happen to um, ARK's um, ETF if there was a, a big drawdown in equities. They, they, she would also have an outflux from her fund. So she could potentially have double the issues of what somebody with just equities have. So it could potentially be a, a, a massive win for Bury and... As he sort of, uh, no, as has been pointed out on Twitter, I don't know if you've noticed, there's quite a lot of bears out that have just come out the wood about um, Ark. Is that there's not a lot of profitability in that um, in that ETF. So should there be a rate hike, which is what we think is coming, what the Fed of saying is, you know, 2022, 2023, maybe 2024. There's a lot of companies in there that might need to go to the debt market, and if there's a rate hike, that's a problem for them. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of companies in there that would not do very well in uh, in a less free money economy. So it makes a lot of sense that this is the play that you would want to play in the sort of you know in a Burry style vision of the future. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know, Steve. Do you have anything on it or? I've got exactly what you've got. Basically, I think this disagreement between Kathy Wood and Michael Burry isn't what she talked about in her tweet, which is not understanding the long term fundamentals of disruption. Um, it may well be that Michael Burry doesn't understand those things for what it's worth, but I, uh, he'll probably tell you he doesn't. Uh, I would guess, that though, that this isn't a bet about that. He's not thinking the long-term te- future for Tesla looks particularly bleak. I think he's thinking there's short-term headwinds because you wouldn't play a long-term thing like that via an option, uh, for one thing. You would play a short-term move via an option that's going to expire. And if we look at the kind of options again for the moment then, so the call options are Google, Facebook, um, what do they have in common that the other fangs don't? They don't have any debt, either of those two. They are absolutely fine if interest rates go up in terms of not needing to pay more on their debt amounts here. Uh, Apple has debt, Microsoft has debt, Amazon has debt. Everyone else in that um, is kind of at least debt exposed to higher interest rates. It won't be crippling for them by any means, but Google and Facebook are pretty much sheltered here. Uh, what are those puts have in common? So Tesla specifically and ARK in general, like Steve said, not a lot of these are particularly profitable. So they're going to have to either have equity issuances or debt issuances. If debt becomes more expensive, that's going to be harder for these guys in the short term. There's something similar with this going on in a short Russell 2000 uh, position that he's got going on as well, I think. So what happens when rates go up? uh, Russell 2000, some of the kind of smaller cap stuff, people run out of that, uh, mainly in fear. Where do they run? Straight into big tech, usually. Uh, They run straight into the fangs, um, and if you've got call options on Google and Facebook, this will, and your way of selecting the fangs to choose here, I guess, would be select the debt-free ones, basically. So I read this as a disagreement over short-term inflation prospects, basically. Kathy Wood's saying, and she has said inflation is going to be transitory. 
Uh, she does not expect this to carry on. She does not expect significant Fed action, especially in terms of raising rates. Michael Burry clearly does, um, and he is positioning himself like someone who is thinking there's going to be a rate hike coming, or at least the market is going to prepare for a rate hike coming, even if one doesn't. Uh, so the market is going to run out of small cap stuff. It's going to run out of unprofitable stuff because unprofitable stuff will struggle in a higher interest rate environment, and it will run towards big tech, specifically debt-free big tech, uh, is what I think is going on here. question then yeah, becomes cool. who's right. Yeah, it's big tech with a load of cash who can uh, hoover up all the good small techs that actually could have had a future if they had access to money. So that's probably that's probably the move. And you would imagine your Facebooks and your uh, Googles, the restrictions around mergers tend to get a little bit relaxed when uh, the government don't fancy putting up the money for stuff anymore. So, yeah, you'll tend to find that a lot more mergers just magically go through all of a sudden. Yeah, Especially when 5,000 jobs are at stake. <laughs> they found in the ARK uh, Innovation ETF that out of the 20-something positions that are holding, 17 of them are in uh, negative earnings. So there's a lot of uh, risk in that ETF right now. So one thing I will say, that this is the start of this week, that didn't exactly go, with this news, it didn't exactly go to the point that pretty much the whole market dropped uh, with some of the fangs kind of staying stable, I must admit. So when do we feel like this is happening? And with the start of the year already uh, knocking 30-odd percent off Tesla already, has that already happened? Do you think that might we, we, we might be behind this? And we were, like you said earlier, it was the, the Fed rate changing or the Fed announcing tapering. Well, they haven't even announced tapering. They've just talked about it in a meeting. Was that, like you said, we were prepared for it. We should know it's already coming. How much more do we think this is going to, this tapering effect is going to affect the small cap stocks and speculative growth? It's impossible to answer really, isn't it? I think um, Mm. it really depends on what your view of the future is. And and from an individual stock perspective, it depends on the cash that they've got and their cash burn. Um, some of them will sail through this. It's kind of that old adage of when the sea, you know, when the sea retreats, you find out who's been swimming naked. And at the moment, the Fed is the sea, and uh, there's quite a few, there's quite a few small caps out there that are, uh, you know, could be in precarious um, situations. But there is, there's equally um, a few out there that that won't be, and they'll all get caught up in the same storm. And really, that your investor's job is to find just a few of those, um, you know, those excellent companies that get caught up in the storm and, and, and buy a wedge of them. Um, and you know, that'll be that. That's going to be the jobs in the next few years. I think that'll be your next, your next sort of millionaires will come from the people who do really well uh, from this from this Fed retreat. Um, you know, just just be careful. I think is the is the answer, isn't it? And I think um, really do analyze companies and. And really, really try your best to weed out the ones that you just you just don't think will make it because the worst thing in the world will be buying a company that you think is great value and they take on a 15% debt coupon uh, that completely cripples their chances of ever making any cash. So, yeah, it's just a funny old period. I think, um, you know, caution is, is going to be my aim, especially with my next ISA deposit. They'll be uh, a lot less just lumping it in and, and letting it run because I think the euphoria of the market is starting to come to the end. From then on, it'll be a case of um, you know playing it a bit smarter. Yeah, you said you were long Alibaba in your uh, investor account there, Steve. That made me worry about the status of your next ISA deposit, if I'm honest. 
I'm long <laughs> Alibaba to the tune of uh, about 0.16 of a share. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> and you usually go in a bit higher than that. Um, that's, that's I don't. That ha- I only have about quid? 1,500 quid. I only have 1,500 quid in my invest account, so um, yeah, it's not too much at all. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so what about getting someone else just to pick these stocks for you? I don't mean index funds. I mean uh, trusts, investment trusts, such as Scottish Mortgage Trust, which we really wanted to talk about last week, but uh, we didn't. And Scottish Mortgage Trust has made a lot of different deals that, if I'm honest, I didn't expect to make them to make. I don't know if you guys did. Um how do we feel that uh, the Scottish Mortgage Trust really control the weather? Because they've done so much. They've, they've predicted everything so much up until the end of last year. And they've changed up a lot. We'll explain what's changed up a lot. Do we see a different future coming forward now that Scottish Mortgage have changed pretty much? They've changed loads of stuff in their, in their trust. No. Um, I, I very much doubt that from Scottish Mortgage Trust. I don't know much about them, uh, to be honest. I know less about them than kind of most people do. But I find, from what I hear about them at second hand, they annoy me. Uh, they annoy me by <laughs> seeming to think they're kind of bigger and better and more significant than they are. And I lazily kind of compare them with uh, Terry Smith and Funsmith, who definitely think they're bigger and better and more important than they are. Because I had to listen to their uh, shareholder meeting, the Funsmith one, not the Scottish Mortgage one. Um, and I heard people re- uh, referring to him as uh, the English Warren Buffett or the UK's Warren Buffett or something like that. Uh, <laughs> and I thought to myself, um, I wish people wouldn't do that. I feel like that's vaguely insulting to the UK to suggest that this is what we think Warren Buffett is or does or is like. Um, and people ask him all kinds of Berkshire Hathaway questions like, oh, who's going to be your successor when you retire and so on. Uh, and these things strike me as entirely kind of antithetical to everything that companies like Berkshire stand for. And so that makes me kind of irrationally angry about both SMT and um, uh, Fundsmith. Basically, I dislike everything that starts off by saying, here's how our investment thing works. You give us some money, and then we keep some of that money, and then we try and make you some money on the rest of it. Okay, cool. Oh, and by the way, if we manage that, we then take some more of it as well. Uh, so I don't like Scottish <laughs> Mortgage. I dislike the idea that, uh, I mean, since I've started, I may as well finish, right? It's not Scottish. It's got nothing to do with mortgages, and I don't trust them. So uh, <laughs> Scottish Mortgage <laughs> Trust is a ridiculous well, name here. I'd, um, I'll uh, in a minute, I'll tell you what things. I really think. But uh, cool. <laughs> sorry, go on. Yeah, I'll tell you a couple of things because uh, it's funny that you've uh, that you've talked about Funsmith there because my Instagram right now, I think I'm getting two messages probably a day with somebody asking me about Terry, Terry Smith and Funsmith saying he's the, the f- next best thing. I was like, wasn't he the next best thing in 2020 or something? Uh, and But you can't doubt. He, oh, and the other thing was in their, um, their recent meeting, uh, which was, uh, what was it titled? Did I say it was earlier? Something like looking into the extraordinary basically they did a they did an interview with the three top top heads of scotch mortgage and they sat around the chairs i thought it was very very interesting if i'm honest but what i will point out is the girl that was interviewing them uh who also works for smt was scottish so it was, she was very glaswegian and i think they did that on purpose <laughs> like to put in a properly scottish person who was consider my trust guys, in them restored extremely english <laughs> like, so uh 
yeah, I, I thought that was quite interesting when you made that point. But they were very interesting, and they, they you can't deny that they've... Go on, say that again. Oh, no, I was saying I've restored my trust in them. That's all I said. <laughs> yeah, because they put, they put someone Scottish in the front. Um, yep. And... Uh, but you can't deny that they've done very, very well. And they've picked up on some of the biggest companies, the most, the best outperforming companies. And to be fair, some of our favorite companies they've picked uh, in their trust. And, and that's some of their holdings. So Steve D is probably the man for it here because he's pretty much liked or owned everything in SMT before, as far as I can tell. Um, what we got? Um, so can we just just quickly call back to Terry Smith being the next best thing or the next big thing (laughs) Terry Smith's 68 (laughs) Um, so yes if he wants to be the next Buffy he's got another 55 years of working but um, yeah um, let's not go that far but yeah SMT I've got uh, SMT's in my wife's portfolio that I run for her I do it because I'm extremely lazy and I like tech I actually dislike the changes that they made recently. I mean, I just don't rate Moderna as a near 10% hold. I don't really rate Illumina to be the second biggest hold. I think that's that's nuts. I think Tencent has fallen because the, val- the valuation of Tencent has fallen. Six is Neo on the list. I mean, yep. ugh, it, makes me, it makes me sick. The Neo have sold 36 <laughs> cars. And they're worth eighty-seven billion. Um, then these companies like Delivery Hero, uh, mm-hmm. Kering, which I really like. Amazon is all the way in tenth. Mm. Ginkgo Bioworks going going large. Um, they're about to IPO, seventeen point five billion valuation on sixty-six million revenue. Um, uh, hashtag value. Um, there's just a lot of crap in there, and that that's the issue now. Is that the the top ten of this list used to be the who's who of tech. You would go down this list and obviously you'd see ASML in three and think, these guys know their shit. Um, but now you're looking <laughs> at an ASML is three, uh, Illumina and Moderna, bigger bigger holdings. I'm not into that. What Illumina and Moderna are big, big moves here. I mean, that's his bold stuff, right? I mean, Illumina today, um, Thursday today, is down 10% because they've just attempted to complete their acquisition of Grail without approval from either the EU regulators or the US regulators. And you might think they'll be fine in the long term. You might think this is investing, not trading, and so on and so forth. But this kind of comes at a bad time for me looking at this sort of thing. I was re-listening to the Peter Lynch speech that our intro music comes from. Uh, And he's busy describing some techie thing with lots of words that you can't possibly understand and pointing out that someone may come along with a bigger or smaller this thing that you don't understand and therefore kick you out of the water. Illumina and Moderna both go into the bucket for me of much, much, much too hard to understand. And I really struggle to think that anyone's got a really, really deep insights into Illumina and has managed to pick that as the kind of genomic future. Even Kathy Wood doesn't do that. Kathy Wood thinks that in general kind of genomic stuff is going in that direction and Illumina may well be part of that story. But she's not sticking 10% of her portfolio into Illumina, from what I can see of it. She's sticking it across an enormous range of biotechs and genomics companies, many of which may well fail. But the idea is that the one that 100Xs will more than cover all of that and give you plenty besides. So I'm really not sure about this. And they've kicked out Google and Facebook, uh, the two things that Michael Burry is long calls on. And I understand that calls are a short-term thing and investments are a long-term thing. So there's room for both of these to be right. Those prices might kick up and then drop away again or flat. 
but I'm not convinced by the idea that um, Google and Facebook are, I think they put it, yesterday's investments. Um, I wonder whether that's getting a bit carried away from my liking. So I would have preferred this to look differently, which is why I'm not in SMT. Yeah, the, I had a similar idea with Illumina. I felt that Illumina, when, when, you're, when you're buying these companies, when, if you're going to buy one of them at a time, one of these very speculative companies which is going to disrupt and it's going to take over the world eventually, you have to know that it's the number one and it's got a moat around it that's going to last you 10, 20, 30 years. But the thing with Illumina is it's in a big pool of this genomic chain reading or whatever you want to call it it's there's a lot of companies that can do this to varying levels they are saying that uh, illumina is better because it's long chain and it can read more and quicker but it's still only one of many and that's a big bet for me to say that illumina has that level of moat even you know they went quite heavy on tesla and at the time, Tesla did have that heavy moat, but now that's starting to be an eat, uh, being eaten away a little bit. Uh, with Illumina, I had, a similar, I had a very similar thought on that. But what I did see when I was watching their video was they were still talking quite heavily about uh, ASML and AdGen. They, in fact, said at one point that ASML isn't just one of the greatest companies that's changed the world in recent years it's probably the greatest company ever that has changed all of humanity and i was quite actually blown away by that but i think with asml i think you can agree with that i think uh something like asml has led to the world just picking up Moore's law and just running with it. It's just, it's following and it's increasing. And ASML is largely behind that because it is uh, doing the, it's the only company in the world that is bringing uh, high level lithography to, to your cars, your computers, the reason you're watching this. It's, it's, it, blow, it did blow me away a little bit. And I was, I was like, oh God, I'm going to have to buy ASML now. It's the facilitator of modern technology, isn't it? That's the idea behind ASML. And anything, communication, anything that needs to talk to anything probably needs to use ASML um, to some degree or a, or a cheaper equivalent of it. So uh, that was my idea behind ASML is that basically I couldn't distinguish the difference between Intel, between Micron, Marvel, um, uh, even AMD, those sorts of companies and and when i spotted that there was only one company in the world that makes the lithography machines or the uav uh, machines specifically and there was only one lens manufacturer there was only two companies i wanted to buy and it was carl zeese and asml hmm. so um, i later found out that the actual lens part of carl zeese isn't in the uh, carl zeese stock so i sold that with a lucky 20 oh. percent profit and talk about talk about blind luck in the middle of a bull market. Um, but <laughs> ASML has just been a nice long hold for me. Um, so yeah, I think I can probably agree with that. Um, although it does seem a little bit, maybe it's a little bit out there. But yeah, but I was going to say the meeting for me was very pretentious. I think they're very pretentious. I think they get into the sort of point where they are quite big for the boots. And the last person I remember getting a little bit big for his boots. Um, was what the hell was his name? Who Hargreaves Armstrong used to push? Neil Woodford. Woodford. Yeah, yeah, Neil oh. Woodford. And uh, <clears throat> that's how I feel about it. And looking down this list of stocks, Ginkgo at twelve, 
you know it's not even public um, bite dance is all the way down there north vault is is at 17 which i don't think is public either there's Meituan in uh, Alibaba, Tencent, all, all at risk of, you know, being near, all, all risk of being excluded from the American market. There's a lot of shite here to pick through. Um, it makes <laughs> me think perhaps Monday, you know, may have a look at it over the weekend, but I'd be very tempted to shuffle out of this now if it was up to me. But these guys have a track record of being right often. So... You know, and of course, one has... of the big highlights in there is that they've got SpaceX as well, which a lot of uh, a lot of people want to want to know about. They do still have mm. SpaceX, don't they? They do. They have twenty-seven. I think they also have quite a bit in Stripe in there already, right? Via private investment. Stripe at twenty-six. It's got Ant Financial as well at twenty-eight. So there is. They've got stuff coming. Um, wow. That um, well, at thirty-three, I've just read is you and Mister Jones. Does anybody? Have oh an yeah, idea I saw that. That's. Um, I looked at that after when I was looking into these things. I think it's some sort of digital markety thing, but um, it was the first of its kind at something or other that I didn't understand. That was exciting. Yeah, but you've got to admit, like with companies like SpaceX, Stripe, uh, Ant Group, all probably going to be IPO in at some point, and maybe not SpaceX so much. But these are big headline companies, which is, you know, could be driven by the next phase of the innovation, the the momentum phase. So you can't really put these guys down all that much. They do they still hold Adyen? That's what I want to know, Steve. I, I couldn't remember if they still do. They do still hold Adyen, and uh, that is number 22 on their list, a mere 1.4%, although I would suggest that wow. um, that has probably gone up a bit recently because Adyen has jumped just about 6% today alone. Uh, and that wow. was uh, on the news of their earnings, which I will bring to you at the speed of light because we have three or four minutes left. Um, so <laughs> Adyen work on two uh, two key metrics. So they work on processed volume because essentially Adyen is um, a way of paying for things, essentially. They're a full service way of paying for things. They cover your fraud and they cover your um, sort of like know your customer and things like that. But aside from that, they are literally there to get payment from A to B. So they work on something called processed volume, which is the same as Visa, same as MasterCard, how much money has gone through their box. And from that, they derive net revenue. So net revenue is just that processed volume. They take their little fee, and that is that is essentially their revenue. So quickly, the processed just volume... Just before we get on. too deep into this, because I just do want, I do want to make the separation of what Adyen actually does, because Adyen, you've got Visa and you've got MasterCard, which do pay, payment processing based on your credit card or your debit card adyen is much more mobile app and i bet now we've mentioned you if anyone's never heard of them before but i imagine a lot of people have heard of adyen uh, they're a dutch company who basically runs everything i think they run the natwest app i think they run a lot of other payment apps that you might use and you will start if you've never heard of them before seeing powered by adyen at the bottom of some of your transactions when you transact with amazon and with you when you transact uh some form of paypal thing i saw the other day with adyen as well i, I was just uh and i bought a book the other day as well I, I can actually read now by the way i taught myself to read and um yeah adyen uh was the payment processor for that so this is in your lives now and it's one of those companies which is 
very quietly under the radar and you won't notice it but it's been in your life and you've used adgen so it's one of those companies and that's what i wanted to push to people right now is not a lot of people know that okay so um adgen obviously they're probably their most famous thing that you'll know them for is that they've replaced pay, they've replaced paypal at um ebay that's probably yep. the most famous thing but i'll quickly run down these stats for you so process volume 216 billion uh, that was up 67 percent year on year uh, net revenue came through at 445 million. Uh, these are in euros, obviously. That was up 46%. So that's a huge, two huge jumps for a company of that kind of size already. Um, net income, um, another another income positive company. I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, but that was up to 205 million, which was up just a mere 109%. Um, the margin was 46%, which is up 1,390 uh, BPS. So huge increase in margin and three uh free cash flow i know paul likes this 246 million um up 60 percent so this is the sort of like cool stuff though is that when you're digging through the uh the metrics um at the moment north america only makes 22 up 22 percent of their um their revenue so uh, Europe is 60%, North America 22%, Asia Pacific 9%, Latin America 8%. So there's tons and tons of growth still in there in, in North America and uh, especially Asia Pacific. So I think Europe, they're, they're pretty entrenched. They've got quite a lot of the market, but their growth is now going to come from outside of that. But I'll, I'll just quickly run down these. So revenue up 46%, as I said earlier. North America was up 80%, Asia Pacific up 44%. Europe up forty percent and Latin America up twenty six percent. So hell, there's some there's some growth there, and they're growing absolutely everywhere. Um, so yeah, really exciting company. I just wouldn't buy it today. I just think it's too expensive. I had an argument with somebody oh. uh, somebody on uh, Twitter. Um, I I do own this stock. I own I think a couple or three shares of it. Um, I'm up about sixty six percent. And I run its metrics through my spreadsheet. And yeah, they are getting a little bit cheaper, but they're not in the kind of ranges where anybody should be really seriously considering buying this. Um, thoughts? They're another company with no debt, right? They are, yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, run, they run really well uh, just on their own cash at the minute. The problem that we're, we're trying to discover here is that it's a European fintech company that is going to try and break America. And it's whether the US is going to let them do that. It's done very well in taking eBay off PayPal, which was a really good start. Uh, but it's got a lot to compete with out in America. It's going to have to compete with all the new banks. The, the banks are going to want uh, to start their own pay payment methods and uh, try and uh, get into that market there. And then you've got Square, PayPal, You've got uh, Visa, Mastercard. These these companies aren't going to give up North America very easily. So how likely? I mean, I can't ask you how likely the growth is, but that's one of the risks, right? That's one of the possibilities that this growth could slow. Well, they have a well-worn route here to follow, uh, and it will be Afterpay, who you've just seen being acquired mm. by Square. And what Afterpay found that they needed to do was they needed to shift some of their business out of i think it was melbourne where they were based and actually shift it into san fran and the only way that they could really start to get traction in america was to go into silicon valley and pretend to be an american company and sell out of an american base and that is exactly what adyen have done 
they've opened the San Francisco. They've actually opened an Asia Pacific um, branch, which I think is in Singapore, off the top of my head. Yep. Um, but they have opened a, um, a Silicon Valley branch as well, and they've started to hire there. Um, headcount was headcount was up quite big in America. Headcount was up quite um, big in Asia Pacific and in Amsterdam as well. So they are seeing these three areas as the three areas that they absolutely need to focus on, and I think they're probably doing the right thing. Yeah, well, they're doing the best thing that they can do, or whether it's uh, whether it's the right thing, you know, to follow in those footsteps. But it's gonna try and get into Latin America, and I think Asia is a really big part for Agen as well. I really like the look of uh, what they're doing with Singapore. I didn't know too much about the uh, the American office that they were putting in. So yeah, there's a lot there's a lot to it there. But like you say, valuation, right? these fintech companies are so popular right now uh possible that it could get to the sort of market cap i don't actually know what the market cap is of agem right now but it's mm. possible it could reach those market caps if it becomes the big payment processor in the u.s but it's got a lot of competition and it's uh, at this valuation a lot's got to go right a lot's got to go perfect 76 billion for agem at the moment okay Right, so, so it's already, oh, so already there's big. still a lot of room. Yeah, it is big, but there's still a lot of room there to go bigger if you were considering it as the big processor in the world, uh, especially if you think that people are going to move more away from cards and much more towards individual apps uh, and uh, processing methods like that. So, yeah, maybe, and we'll we'll see what it picks up in eBay as well because eBay still that's only just starting still. yeah it's only yeah, just starting that that partnership so there's there's still plenty to come from that I think um, yeah. but yeah I think Ad- Adyen powers a lot of things I think you'd be very surprised when you look down their list of customers it's the who's who of uh, sort of European tech that have made it over to America and obviously America is starting to pick up on that and, and scale it out themselves as well so there's growth there in terms of the company whether the people will be happy with a 40% growth on a, something that's trading at a PE of about 130 is uh, is is an odd thing. And I think if you type in Adgen market cap, you'll notice that the first question that pops up on Google is, is Adgen overvalued? And uh, <laughs> that's really one for you to work out. But I would say it's getting there. I would be wary of trying to find that answer out by Googling it, for one thing. <laughs> it feels like a theme that we've kind of had come out of this earnings season in general that when 40% growth starts becoming 25% growth, starts becoming 15% growth, people start getting kind of fidgety around um, high forever growth multiples and so on. And it feels to me like a lot of fintechs are. I don't know quite how long they've got going at 40% growth. Maybe they've got plenty more time at that, right? Maybe they'll be out of sight by the time it gets to anywhere near pulling back or anything along those lines. I guess the question then, Steve, is if you think it's edging towards overvalued, are you thinking of selling it? It's on the list of things to keep an eye on, and it has been for a while. The only thing I'm really reticent about selling it for is because it has about three and a half billion of cash at the moment, and I'm really intrigued to see what they buy with it. I don't think this is particularly a growth by acquisition industry, but I think the leaders of Adyen are very, very smart. The people really, really like working for Adyen, and Adyen obviously get the best out of their people. So I'm intrigued to see what they do with it, enough to hold on to it for now. Um, I kind of feel like I'm the 
I'm dancing in the room, you know, with the clock with no hands at the moment with Adyen, but I'm willing to just, uh, like I say, I've got that cushion of 60% up, so I'm yeah. happy to just watch it for now. And that, that's diff- it's different for me today. If you were going to ask me today, if I got it at 2 3 and I saw it at 2 5, then hell yeah, I think maybe this is probably, um, this is a, this is a, big jump and perhaps I should get rid of it but getting in at sort of like 1400 yeah I'm kind of happy to I'm interested in that idea I feel like this is a growth by acquisition kind of industry I mean this feels to me like telehealth industry in terms of being up and coming we saw Teladoc get pushed together with Livongo that wasn't strictly an acquisition that was more of a merge I guess but you get the general Mm. idea Uh, we've just seen Afterpay get acquired and so on I don't know. I wonder whether there might be acquisition possibilities here. Visa's been shut down a few times recently as well, so there's mm. a, there's a lot there's a lot there uh, that is getting acquired. But like you say, everyone's it, it more trying to where consolidate they go. at the moment in this industry, aren't they? It, de- yeah, it depends where Adyen want to go because they're already kind of a whole service kind of speciality mm. offering. So it, it depends. I don't see Adyen going down the Afterpay route, but I suppose if it does want to go down like a route like Afterpay, then maybe something like Klarna would be the sort of European company that it wants to wants to acquire. But I'm just I'm interested enough to hold on to it for now. Maybe maybe they'll acquire after, RBS. Afterpay acquisition. <laughs> 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 to be fair, with three and a half billion, you could get all the UK banks, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, but you could, yeah, you could go go on a little shopping spree and just be the Oprah of uh, of UK banks, just buying everything. Um, <laughs> I I hated that afterpay thing, the uh, the acquisition. I thought it's a real negative um, acquisition in in the fintech space. I, th- I thought it was I thought it was a step back in evolution, to be honest with you. But I suppose if if that if there's there's obviously still even after the year of everybody becoming so astute with finance and investing, or apparently everyone had a lot more access to all the finance and investing information, that people still feel that they need to buy things on a buy now, pay later. And companies like Klarna and Afterpay, and and then for, for, for Square to go and pick up Afterpay and see it as a really good investment for the future, I just went, oh, I hate humanity. It's just people are just buying things, just just want stuff that they can't afford, and I I just thought I was really, uh, I was really disappointed by that. To be honest with you, do you think I could get On a Berkshire Hathaway A share and buy now and pay later for it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you you're at a heavy risk there. Though. Wouldn't you need to pay that off in four hundred and thirty-six thousand installments? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, on that note, we're going to leave that there. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Steve D, Steve W, for joining me this week. And let me know how you've done on this week's quiz, which was apparently an hour ago now that I forgot about. Uh, and uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on SMT? Because I know there's a lot of people very interested in SMT right now. Uh, they hold, they're very much innovation driven. Uh, let us know what you think because I'm I'm intrigued to hear what people uh, think about that and uh, I don't, I can't remember what the fee for SMT was for but um, uh, yeah it's just an interesting point that if someone can remind me of what the fee is in the comments I'd love to know uh, thank you very much for listening today and thank you very much for watching leave us a five star review or a comment or like subscribe on the YouTube video thank you very much and we'll see you next week. I'm amazed how many people own stocks.
follow me, some people own stocks. The sucker's going up. <laughs>